Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you, Professor Sahab? Alhamdulillah. Yes, things are always on the go. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> 
we have a few people today. I, I want to say four, uh, maybe five, maybe less, who said okay. they're 50 50 for today. So I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, just uh, right. heads up there. The more the merrier, but we'll work with whatever we got. For sure. For sure. Julian. But uh, my people treated you well last week, right? Oh, very well, mashallah. I will. Um, I don't know if you saw anything about their. Intro I saw there. something. I saw something about dinosaurs, and I just thought, <laughs> yeah, the things uh, you know, that they they uh, pick up from me. Yeah. I've noticed other MSAs as well. Like uh, I went to Boston a couple months ago for a program there, and even their MSA, like they do a different intro each time, and it's just like I'm too out of touch to even really relate to it. Yeah, but, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, but no, everybody was really nice. Good, good engagement, participation. Um, better yeah, yeah. than I expected. So I was, I was very happy. Great. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, should we wait any longer, or should we get started? What do you say, Faisal? Uh, I think we can get started. Um, I sent a reminder as well just before we started. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. Should be good. Okay, where is it? Ah, here it is. All right. Do you remember? Uh, you didn't happen to know where we left off, did you? I think I wrote it down. Uh, let me. It was uh, and upon this view, and upon this view is the last thing I wrote down. There might be Got a it. bunch of them. Got it. Okay. All right. Let me close all these other windows, and then. Let's do some sharification of the screen. This one. All righty. Can you all see it? Yes. Okay, very good. All righty. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Let's see. How about if Fezan is Socrates? And of you guys with your cameras off, who would like to be Euthyphro? Anyone? Well, I guess Fizan's camera's off too, but I'm joining. I'm joining Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Good, Charlie. I'm on computer. Hey Bilal, you want to be youth fro? Oh. There she's on. I'll do it. All right, cool. All right. And so you can see where we are. And so Fezan, whenever you're ready, begin. Sure. <clears throat> and upon this view, the same things. Euthyphro will be pious and also impious. So I should suppose. Then, my friend, I remark with surprise that you have not answered the question which I asked. For I certainly did, for I certainly did not ask you to tell me what action is both pious and impious. But now it would seem that what is loved by the gods is also hated by them. And therefore, Euthyphro, in thus chastising your father, you may very likely be doing what is agreeable to Zeus, but disagreeable to Kronos or Uranus. And, or Uranus, I don't know. And what is acceptable to uh, Hephaestus, Hephaestus. Yeah, yeah. But unacceptable to Hera. Probably Hera. Hera. And there may be other gods who have similar differences of opinion. Okay. So again, what's going on here? The backstory, once again, Euthyphro is pressing charges against his dad. And Socrates is someone who has pressed charges against him. Socrates is asking Euthyphro what is pious. Euthyphro is whatever the gods like. And then Socrates makes the point that the gods disagree with each other, which means the end result 
is that you can do something and some gods will like it, which means it's pious, and some gods will dislike it, which means it's impious. But what is the deeper question here? The deeper question is how do we determine if something is right or wrong? How do we determine if something is good or bad? And so this is one of the rahmas of our tradition, that things are pretty straightforward. Sometimes in specific situations, the right answer might be the wrong answer. So what I mean by this is, okay, so sadaqah is a good thing, yeah? When is sadaqah a bad thing? How would you answer that question? Um, what if it's at the expense of your responsibilities, like your family? Yeah, so if you're giving to somebody in need, but then you wind up leaving your own family in need, okay, that's a contradiction. Uh, prayer is, you know, a salat imaduddin. It's like the pillar of the deen. When is a fard prayer bad? What would be a scenario? If you're showing off. Okay, so if your intention is bad, yeah. What else? If you're praying too much and you're missing your other prayers, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that definitely. Uh, but let's just say fard only. When is fard bad? So yeah, if you're like praying all day long and you're skipping all responsibilities, bad. So I knew a guy, I think he still does this, surgeon who whenever it's prayer time, he stops what he's doing and starts praying. Okay. And so, and I've seen him do this right in front of me, like me, him, and like this imam of a masjid, we were all sitting and whatever prayer time began, he literally just got up and started praying right there. Right. And so in surgery, when he's not able to schedule the time, he prays and then he'll even like in the middle of his prayer, hand over a scalpel or whatever. So you got to like wonder what's going on. And so that we could perhaps argue, yeah, probably not the best time to be making your mandatory fard prayers. Probably not the best scenario. So he's gotten fired repeatedly. And what is his response been? I only listen to Allah. I don't follow your laws. I only follow the laws of Allah. Right. But yeah. So, so the point is, even in our tradition, something that is fard, in theory, is the best possible thing, but there might be scenarios where it's the wrong thing to do. Well, the easiest example, and we've probably talked about this, is suppose you have a brand new convert to Islam. Let's say this convert becomes Muslim March 10th of this year, okay? March 15th of this year, and Ramadan starts in eight days, seven days, six days. Do you tell this person they're going to make all their fasts? The fast is fard. What do you tell them? Shazan, are you about to say something? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, I would let them know that this is what Ramadan is. Obviously, they probably have done some research, so they understand already it is fard, but obviously you want them to ease into it. So probably, I mean, I don't know what the scholarly opinion is, but, you know, letting them know that, you know, easing into something. So like maybe starting a few hours, half fast, whatever, and like having yeah. them understand the importance of it. But yeah, if you tell them like, Hey, do it all at once, they're probably chances are they'll get burned out and probably leave. Yeah. And I've seen that happen too many times. Um, uh, the most common case is when you have coworkers that are doing thought to their coworker 
And then their coworkers like, yeah, this makes sense. I become Muslim. And then the coworkers, in their good intentions, but absolutely wrong, will say, all right, uh, you can only eat Zabiha meat now, so you got to stop eating in these restaurants. you got to drop your boyfriend. you got to stop drinking, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, they'll give this one book. Oh, I forgot the name of the book. But it's basically like a super basic, thick manual, but it'll have chapters like 65 things that will break your wudu, right? And I've literally had this conversation with multiple people where, like, I, I always remember this one person. Uh, she had a really bad history, like, you know, was abused by father, abused by uncle in all the horrible ways. And she was saying, uh, with Islam, that was the first time in my life I found peace, but I would to kill myself every night. Because they literally told her, like, from the moment of the Shahada, you had to change everything. She tried. And so I don't know that she's Muslim anymore. When I met with her, I, I met another person who was in a similar situation. And that woman, at least I haven't had contact with her in like eight years. But when I met her around eight years ago, she was basically already had one foot out of the deen. Allah guides whomever he wills. But the basic principle is, even if something is fard, it may not be the best thing for this person at this time. You know? And it, there's the famous example you'll find, you'll find in, in the, the books, books of these guys who became Muslim. And Ibn Taymiyyah was their teacher. May Allah's mercy be upon him. And, and he was not stopping them from drinking. And so, you know, they'd be Muslim and pray and all that stuff throughout the day. And then at night, they'd all start drinking and pass out. And the people would go to Ibn Taymiyyah, what is this? You're not telling them to stop drinking. And he said, look, if I make them stop, these guys are warriors. If I make them stop drinking, they're going to be sober. And what are they used to doing? They're used to raping and pillaging. If I let them drink, they're going to drink and they're going to pass out. And it's preventing them from doing something worse. And so unless you do community type work, most people can't appreciate these points. That for most people, if it's far, it's far, it's haram, it's haram, done. But there's literary scenarios where the haram might be better than the non-haram. There's the fard might not be as good as the non-fard. Make sense? Alrighty. So that would be the closest thing that I can think of that would be our equivalent. All right, let's continue. Uh, let's see. I think uh, you throw, but I believe. Um, but I believe Socrates that all the gods would be would be agreed as to the propriety of punishing a murderer. There would be no difference of opinion about that. Okay, so we would probably in general agree with this point, yeah? Probably in general. Of course, based on how we've discussed everything else, else there's always going to be exceptions. But continue. Well, but speaking of men, Yutifro, did you ever hear of anyone arguing that a murderer of any sort or any sort of evildoer ought to be let off. I should rather say that these are the questions which they are always arguing, especially in courts of law. They commit all sorts of crime, and there is nothing which they will not do or say in their own defense. But do they admit their guilt, Yudhifro, and yet say that they ought not to be punished? No, they do not. Okay, so you see the difference there, right? 
<clears throat> he's saying you're not going to find somebody in court, generally speaking, who says, I'm guilty, but I should not be punished. Mm-hmm. But you will find people who say I'm not guilty. Yeah. Continue. Uh, then, there there are, are, yeah. then there are some things which they do not venture to say and do. For they do not venture to argue that the guilty are to be unpunished, but they deny their guilt, do they not? Yes. Then do they not argue that the evildoer should not be punished, but they argue about the fact of who the evildoer is, and what he did, and when? True. And the gods are in the same case. If, as you assert, they quarrel about just and unjust, and some of them say, while others deny, that injustice is done among them. For surely neither God nor man will ever venture to say that the doer of injustice is not to be punished. That is true, Socrates, in the main. In the main. But they join issue about the particular gods and men alike. And if they dispute at all, they dispute about some act which is called in question, and which by and which by some is affirmed to be just, by others to be unjust, is not that true. Quite true. Well then, my dear friend Euthyphro, do tell me, for my better instruction and information, what proof have you that in the opinion of all the gods, a servant who is guilty of murder and is put in chains by the master of the dead man and dies because he is put in chains before he who bound him can learn from the interpreters of the gods what he ought to do with him dies unjustly. And that on behalf of such and one a son ought to proceed against his father and accuse him of murder, how would you show that all the gods absolutely agree in approving of his act? Prove to me that they do, and I will applaud your wisdom as long as I live. Okay, so, and this might be a repetition from what we've discussed before. In the case of murder in our dean, when is execution permitted? What scenarios? Person has to be sane, I think, who did the murder. Yeah. Um, does it matter if it's intentional or like like pre premeditated or not? So that's a good question. When you get into the actual legal text, it seems like it is. Okay. But it's still, or let me take a step back. Who gets to determine the sentence? So let's say someone is convicted, mm-hmm. right? So so to speak, beyond a reasonable doubt, this person is convicted of murder. And then whose decision is it? The sentence. Is it the family of the victim? Yeah. So like for us, murder is a crime against the family. Adultery is a crime against the state. And what does that mean? The state does not have the privilege, so to speak, of forgiveness, of forgiving. Yeah. If you even look at the ayahs on adultery, they're kind of scary. Like, don't let your compassion prevent you from fulfilling all those commands. It's pretty scary. Whereas for murder, what are the options? It's execution, blood, money, forgiveness. Although some people will say execution and blood, money, slash forgiveness. Right? So it's either three options or two options. Execution is always one, but some people merge blood, money, and forgiveness together. What are the cases in which, uh, 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 other than murder, what are the cases in which execution might be a sentence? I've already mentioned one. Uh, treason? Treason, yeah. 
So we might say apostasy, but yeah, historically apostasy was synonymous with treason, right? So if you were a Muslim at the time of the Prophet, peace upon him, and then you're becoming a kafir, that basically means you're joining the Quraysh. There's no in between, right? So would that apply in 2023 in Chicago? Probably not. You know, would that apply in Afghanistan in 2023? Probably not. Although people would apply it, yes. And then uh, zina, if you're married. Right. All right, small side points. Uh, and then another point we made, I think, last time is morality tends to be universal, except on a couple things. One is like the intensity of an issue, or some of the cases of exceptions, like when is it okay to lie? You know, things like that. Okay, let us continue. It will be a difficult task, but I but I could make the matter very dear indeed to you. I understand. You mean to say that I am not so quick of apprehension as the judges, for to them you will be sure to prove that the act is unjust and hateful to the gods. Yes, indeed, Socrates, at least if they will listen to me. But they will be sure to listen if they find that you are a good speaker. There was a notion that came into my mind while you were speaking. I said to myself, well, and what if Euthyphro does prove to me that all the gods regarded the death of the serf as unjust? How do I know anything more of the nature of piety and impiety? For granting that this action may be hateful to the gods, still piety and impiety are not adequately defined by these distinctions. For that which is hateful to the gods has been shown to be also pleasing and dear to them. And therefore, Euthyphro, I do not ask you to prove this. I will suppose if you like that all the gods condemn and abominate such an action, but I will amend the definition so far as to say that what all the gods hate is impious and what they love is pious or holy and what some of them love and others hate is both or neither. Shall this be our definition of piety and impiety? Okay, so you all get this, right? So Euthyphro or Socrates saying, okay, what if we can find something that all the gods agree? Then we can work with that. And he's saying, what do you think about this Euthyphro? Um, why not, Socrates? Why not? Certainly, as far as I am concerned, Euthyphro, there is no reason why not. But whether this admission will greatly assist you in the task of instructing me, as you promised, is a matter for you to consider. Yes, I should say that. Uh, yes, I should say that what all the gods love is pious and holy, the opposite which they all hate, impious. You know, I mean, think back to what the setting is here. Do you remember what the setting is in terms of where they're having this conversation? The courthouse. So Euthyphro is walking in. Socrates is walking out. Hey, what are you doing here? I'm filing charges against my dad. What are you doing here? Yeah, someone filed charges against me. So they've been having this conversation going on in terms of our conversation for like four months now. Okay. All right, continue. So Euthyphro is probably like, bro, can you just get on with it, man? <laughs> Ought we to inquire into the truth of this, Euthyphro, or simply to accept the mere statement on our own authority and that of others? What do you say? Okay, so a couple of big things. One, the power of eloquence. Okay. And so this we have the narration of Dawood alayhi salam and then the Prophet, peace be upon him, giving a simple, similar narration that, and I'm paraphrasing, look, I'm a human. Uh, if two of you are coming to me with a case, it is possible that I'd err on the side of the person who's more eloquent. 
this is a big scary thing because you can still be totally it's one thing if you're eloquent and articulate but you're malicious right but it's something scarier if you're being genuine but people are siding with you because you're eloquent whereas the person on the other side is not as eloquent and they might actually be more accurate or more correct And then the other issue is on your authority. And this is a question we had way at the beginning of our discussions on this. In our community, where is authority located? I'm speaking about Islam in America or Islam in Chicago. I don't know if all of you are from Chicago, but Islam in America. Where is authority? How would you answer that question? And by authority, I mean coercive power. So for speaking about the court system, the judge has coercive power, right? So in our community, where is authority or what kind of authority is there? Um, Yeah, Isa. I don't know if you're speaking or said something. Isn't really any apart from uh, like the Muslim community itself, like, you know, policing, but we're not really that tight knit anymore either. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would I would say there isn't really any course of authority. The most might be the power to get people against you like ostracism in a, in a local masjid, the most authority might be the authority to get people to turn against you, right? And that's more often the case with things like gossip as opposed to right and wrong. I mean, on campus, it's like a daily issue here. This person said this about me. This person said that, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else, you know. Except there was this period of time after 9-11 where there was a reasonable scare that people would accuse people in the community would accuse you of being a terrorist. And when there was a witch hunt, that it was a credible fear that Homeland Security or whatever would just believe it because they're just rounding up everybody. Well, I don't think we have anything like that right now, or maybe we do and just no one notices going on. We, we actually had um, six cases uh, last year, YM National, SubhanAllah. somebody undercover was in a youth group at a masjid and uh, with the sole intention to entrap uh, just like regular kids. Uh, SubhanAllah. Six, All at the same place or different places? No, no, different places throughout. The oh, he, even worse. Yeah. yeah. SubhanAllah. I, mean, I don't know the exact geographic break, breakdown, yeah. but um, in the report that I was talking to the national coordinator at YM, he said it was YM National. Um, but I don't know if it was like located all East Coast or, or where exactly. But they were different places. Even they were different. If they places. were in the same region. So on yeah. along. And these were the same person in trapping, or they seem to be different people. I didn't, don't even know. I didn't go into detail. I wanted to talk to him in person. Yeah. But um, I I don't think it was the same person because I, I think that would have been noted if it was like the same uh, location or if it was the same yeah. uh, like authority. Um, and these are just the ones that he said that we know of that they're you know that we're working with and trying to to unravel kind of what happened. And uh, no, no charges have been filed as far as I know. Alhamdulillah. Like we, like we, we're, we're pretty good about 
training our leadership early on to like just be cautious, be wary, be smart, you know, don't get into conversations where people are sucking you into stuff that yeah, it's just to record and you know put something uh, against you. So um I, I, those didn't amount to anything, but there 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 were cases like from the last decade that have amounted to things, but um uh, especially even before my time, I think there was one one brother, but uh, but yeah, it's it's there were six just from last year. So and that's just last year. It's just last year, yeah. So you guys all knew these guys? Uh, or some I, of these guys? I don't know them, but the national co- coordinator said that um the the brothers um they were um none of them were in leadership positions, like they were neighbor net kids, like kids who are just coming like, Yeah, but they're kids. Years. But yeah, they're regular kids. They're not like uh they're just regular kids going from high school or coming from wherever. Well, it was really it was really crazy. I didn't know that stuff was still going on. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I didn't either because I told him, you know, I feel like it's died down because in our national kind of meetings, we we used to have uh, somebody from CARICOM every year talk, talk tell us about, you know, if, uh, always get a lawyer, do this. This is the steps that you have to follow. Um, but I feel like it hasn't been in, as uh, as prominent. And he was telling me it's actually the opposite. We we make sure they emphasize it every year because and then he talked to me about the six cases. So, wow. Subhanallah, I had no clue. Okay. Well, yeah, that is coercive power, you know, entrapping somebody, you know, not just, but it is coercive power. Uh, But yeah, I can't think of any other example of coercive power within our community, except when you somehow have the power to connect somebody with the law or ostracize them. You want to say something else, Faison? There, there, is there is there there's some people that i've talked to like older kind of uncles aunties who are um on the verge of divorce or something like that and they'll go to like sharia board in chicago or something like that and they'll get like a verdict from them and they'll feel like okay now they're they're okay moving forward with whatever that resolution is yeah. um, but i feel a younger generation like they don't they don't care about anybody's authority so let alone like people who have it over like their parents or whoever it may be so I, yeah I don't, Oh, or else you're saying? Sorry. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I don't know if we can ever get to that point where we recognize that level of authority again. Yeah, it then becomes just basically to whom will you listen? So this is a very common case when someone's coming to me for help in a family matter. Either the parent is a problem or the child is a problem. And then I'm asking them, okay, is there somebody this person is going to listen to? Is there a relative this person is going to listen to? Is there a scholar? Is there somebody this person is going to listen to? And if there is, then there's some hope, but very often there is not. Yeah. yeah. And that's the consequence of decentralization, right? And so what we will probably see in our community, because everyone else has done this, is some sort of more organized certification system, some sort of more organized unification of the mosques. So like with uh, the Jewish community, you have like the rabbinical authorities and such. And then the Protestants who've been here much longer, much organized, much longer, they'll have, you know, these synods and such. Um, We will probably steadily start developing those things. Yeah. That'll have some amount of certification in terms of who they endorse, who they don't endorse. Sort of like the halal industry right now. Right. So the halal industry seems to have some recognized authority. It comes down to whom do you listen to, right? Hafsa is like the cool one right now. And then someone else is going to come along like in five years and all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Muslims are so concerned with like their food and stuff. And that's, that's already started to become centralized. Yeah. Uh, especially here in Roosevelt Road, like the suburbs. I mean, people are just like, we're spoiled, like beyond what I can describe. And there was a, a Thai restaurant, um, like non-Muslim Thai family, opened a restaurant right next to Garib Nawaz on Roosevelt Road. 
And literally every Muslim assumed it was going to be halal because it's on the uh. road and pri- like we literally <laughs> assumed. So Muslims started coming there and they're like, well, what do you mean it's not halal? Like, and the guy's oh my like, gosh. And he's like, I don't even know what that is. And within two weeks, he started serving halal meat because he's awesome. like, so many Muslims came. They're like, dude, you oh, have man. to start serving. Then it. his business probably really skyrocketed. Well, so and, much and, then, and then the thing, the thing is that he started getting it from like Restaurant Depot and it's like machine slaughtered, whatever. Uh. He, like, he was starting it. So then the next yeah. two weeks, uh, people are like, bro, you got to get the Hafsa certification. Like, you got to get rid of the pork. You got to do this. And so uh, many people were going to him, like, at telling him that, like, different people. And, and uh, I see very kindly and very professionally. It was not like, uh, okay, like, uh, in your face type, of, type yeah. of thing. It was like younger generation people. And oh, um, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. So they were like trying to convert the restaurant and not even convert him, just convert the restaurant. That's all we want. We, don't care about <laughs> we so just now he, want your animals to be Muslim. You don't have to be the Muslim. So now he put up a notice that he's 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 like halal is new to me. You know, we never heard of this before, but we're working nice. on it. We have right now from like some halal certification for some stuff, and it's all separated, everything uh-huh. across contamination. But uh it, who knows? You know, like within weeks, people are already telling him the authorities and he's working with them to make sure he's <laughs> he's <sure>. compliant. <laughs> you know, this cross-contamination thing on a side point, I don't know how much that is actually a thing. Okay. We all get concerned about it, but I don't know if it's actually a thing. Islamically, you're saying or practically? Yeah, Islamically. Okay. Islamically, gotcha. yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying uh, in whatever little research I've done, I haven't come across it. Although we all talk about it and we all understand why we all talk about it, but yeah. it may not be a thing. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah and, and that Thai place, he actually stopped serving pork now too. Oh, oh he wow. did? Yeah. I was, yeah. That's Entirely. the latest update. Yeah. He, he just did that. That's wow. crazy. No, it's all halal. Like machine started, but all halal. Okay. So. But mashallah. And getting rid of pork is a big deal because they like yeah. this, this central to a lot of cuisines. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Oh, mashallah. Yeah, okay. Raheem, Raheem's, Raheem knows all about the food stuff. So <laughs> I should have let him speak. But yeah, he knows all about this. Well, that is type of authority, right? <laughs> you know, uh, it is mob mentality, but it is a type of authority. So it's very similar to ostracism where you can get people against somebody, right? And if you can organize people enough, to make something happen, it can happen at least at the local micro level. Which scholars, celebrity preachers in our local or national community do you believe have the power to consistently get people to stand up and do whatever? Something that requires them to get out of their house, not like send an email. Or is there anybody? Like, does Omar Suleiman have that level of influence? Or does care have that level of influence what do you think is there anybody or who is there maybe it's uh, I more think there's like, like pockets oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead i was thinking more like organ like when the mass ikna comes to town or something that probably brings people out more than like a specific person yeah that's a good example she's not what are you gonna say as I said, it's probably like small followings of those scholars that will do it. But I think on a global scale, it's probably still may not be there yet. Um, but on a, in like maybe on like in small pockets like Imam Amr Suleiman or Hamza Yusuf or Soheb Webb, um, some of these bigger speakers, when they come out, I think there's like some interest to there. But on a global scale, yeah, maybe what Naeem's saying is probably the biggest that it comes is in during the convention times. Yeah. Um. Who would you say has the most influence of the Chicago people? Any thoughts? Um, one example I can think of is like Chicago Hillel. Okay, so Chicago Hillel has uh, the the calendar 
Yeah. Yep, that was the, in these cases that I've worked on. That was the one thing I did not anticipate. Everything that I anticipate to happen happened, and vice versa. Nothing unanticipated happened except for some people decide they're not going to follow Chicago Halal anymore. I was like, what? Okay, yeah. They switched to calculations. But what do you think? Do you think Sheikh Jamal has that level of authority in Bridgeview? That power? I don't even know. I don't like. Uh, and I'm saying basically the authority to get people to come out of their homes, whether it's to protest or to stop buying something or to start buying something. I would say probably with the older crowd. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in Bridgeview for like a solid two years, uh, five, six years ago. So that I'm just basing off that experience. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, with the older crowd for sure, because people who don't even, um, don't uh, don't seem like they're involved in the community at all. Um, just one word from him, and also I would say Sheikh Ahmed Arafat as well. Mm, um, he has that I, level of influence. I would say so because oh, I mean, a lot, especially a lot. I mean, I'm thinking also around Ramadan. Like he'll he'll ask for something for an organization, or he'll talk about something, and there'll be people. Oh, dude, yeah, the fundraising. Yeah, I mean Sheikh yeah. Jamal, he's like the goat. Right? Yeah, exactly. And he's better so, than I mean, he's better I don't than know everybody. If that's indicative, but. Uh, I think it is a thing because that means people trust him to the yeah. point that they will give large sums of money. Yeah. In terms of action, I have trouble thinking of people. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Shazan, what do you think? You're you're more up to date with like a lot of like. Yeah. And Raheem, you're going to say something too. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, um, I mean, in that sense, I think Dar Salaam, like Mufti Azim and Mufti Minhaj, also have that pocket of followers mm -hmm. that people will donate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they seem yeah. to have some power donations going on every single time. Yeah, mashallah. She's on. What are you saying? No, I was gonna say probably. I think yeah. From more, I feel like more from a donation perspective, it, that's probably where you'll find it. But I feel like I'm trying to think. I feel like the last time maybe there was kind of a a big movement of going out and like protesting was probably like pre-COVID when people would do a lot of the protests uh, for Palestine at the Israel embassy, and that was like. I haven't heard of that in a long time, but I think that was probably the last time where people would actually go out into the streets. And a lot yeah. of that was probably led by, um, I'm sure down in Bridgeview since the community they have there. But yeah, I feel like in the, in the North side and the Western suburbs, like a lot of these communities, that's not as much of an emphasis, especially in the Desi community yeah. um, to like go and do these types of protests. Yeah. I, you're reminding me, um, I had a conversation with one of the leaders of one of the California communities where they had an FBI mole and this physician, I don't know if he was, I think he might've been the president during these investigations. It was like a national story. I want to say it was the Lodi mosque or something, but, uh, he asked the FBI agent, like you've been investigating us what do you know what are what is the concern here what do muslims do and the fbi agent said muslims don't do anything like they talk a lot but we have to follow the money to see where things are going right i just thought that was hilarious but yeah yeah i feel like and i'm not saying this is only us but i think it's hard to get us to consistent action so even like the, the Palestinian protests, I think we can get people out maybe for a couple protests. Long term, don't know. You know, this is this is the the bitter pill that I give to our Palestinian activists here. Like uh, A, what are you doing? How much are you doing? You know, consider what you're going against. Yeah, Fazan. Do, do you think that it has something to do with um 
like I'm, I'm reflecting on like older older people that I've spoken to and they'll say they had like one interaction with like um, a certain scholar from like Pakistan or, or wherever they're from and like that was enough to get them like consistent with this one thing because they had like this unshakable kind of connection with this person although they didn't have like a close maybe relationship with them uh, whereas now like um, younger people especially they 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 might look up to certain scholars and if they're you know, maybe like strong students of knowledge or something like that, they would adhere to something just, you know, being said by a certain scholar because they have that trust. Mm-hmm. But I think because of uh, people not really valuing relationships, uh, maybe having a certain level of like distrust for authority, whatever it may be. Um, I think some people form like older mentors and it takes a long time to cultivate that. But when they have that, they will like start dressing like that person, start adopting the values and views of that person. But um, that's what I've, what I'm seeing. But when, when, when people don't have anybody, then they're yeah. just kind of hodgepodge of different things. And um, I don't know where they would go to for that type of encouragement. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think it's, uh, we're all basically a bunch of islands, mm. you know, and most of us are consuming our Dean through, uh, I mean, it used to be YouTube scholars. Now it's TikTok preachers. Yeah. You know, was it you guys? No, some guys here who are telling me about how um, they're literally like, youtube or tiktok influencers at mass ikna that you that were young and people are literally following them around like in hordes you know not surprising to me (laughs) yeah and i mean there is some space where people will put in action like to open a masjid and we'll go through all the steps that are involved whether it's to get the zoning and all that stuff right uh and then you have that small population of people that are doing the relief work that we're all you know donating to uh, but beyond that, I don't know. Okay. If you were to like um, say there should be like some things that all like the Muslims should gather for and like gather around to you, like is there something that you try to emphasize in your circles or when you talk to people, like what what is one thing that you'd say like we're really lacking in hunger as a community to like? Sorry, could you repeat that? Um, eradicating hunger, like in Chicago, uh, because hunger is a matter of policy as opposed to lack of food, right? That I think if enough people got together to work on it, I think within 20 years, if it was just us, just the Muslims, I think within 20 years, we can eradicate hunger in Chicago, right? Uh, If we get involved with the other communities, the Catholics, the Jews and such, I think we'd probably do even faster, you know? Uh, That I literally think we have the power to eradicate hunger, Homelessness is much more complicated. Uh, hunger, right. I think it's literally part of it is a matter of access, you know, and then, you know, subsidies and all those things. But essentially, it's a po- it's a policy issue, you know, that I think uh, we could literally put at the top of our political platform, you know, above everything else, Islamophobia, above everything else. And I think that's something that can be accomplished. And I totally acknowledge that I might be 100% naive because you have things like the Greater Chicago Food Depository that who knows how long they've been around. And I know they do work in policy, but I really, in what little idealism and pragmatism I have, I think it's something that can be done. I wish that I had, well, just like we're talking about the the power to, to get people to act, I wish that I had that type of voice, personality, get people to work on this. Because uh, I literally think it's something within reach. So. Well, I feel like so. Like, let's say, like when you're talking to people, I'm sure everyone will agree that hey, we want to 
eradicate hunger. We don't yeah. want, you know, no obviously like no one, no one, yeah, no one's going to disagree. So where do you see that people, is it a lack of time, lack of, yeah, you know, obviously financially, you know, Muslims have, a, you know, plethora of wealth. Do you feel like it's just lack of giving time to like spend on it because people are so caught up in other things? So yeah, or lack of organizing some people that would be sponsored by the community to focus on it, right? So it essentially means somebody has to take the initiative on the project and get it organized, you know, even if it's a team of like four people, and then that becomes their full-time job sponsored by the community in the way Iman Inner City Muslim Action Network is essentially sponsored by the community as well as by grants, you know, or what's the group up in uh, Algonquin? Umma. It's basically Iman, but in the North Shore, far north. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I'm not like criticizing that, okay, no one is leaving their jobs because I'm not leaving my job for, for to do that work. But I do think if we can get some people who make it their priority. And at first, I don't even know if it has to be a full-time job, right? But it probably will have to become a full-time job at some point for a small group of people. Right. And I mean, there's a deeper point here that much of the focus, you know, like you keep hearing from me in terms of the focus in our community of what Dean is, is focused much more on fiqh, right? And fiqh is not where you're going to find movement and activism and all that stuff and social change. You know, fiqh is where you will find validity to your actions, you know. And I mean, even think about it, like uh, for the young crowd, other than YM, how many other groups are there? There's mass youth. What else is there? There's a sister's one that's gaining more traction now. Um Jenna Circle, like in the suburbs. I'm not familiar with it, but okay, yeah. It's like a very suburban Naperville starting thing, but it's it's growing pretty rapidly from what I hear. Yeah. And so so I think like we discussed either as last time or in our previous session, why does YM exist? YM exists because you know, in all these places, you couldn't find elders that would mentor young people. So literally the young people have to do it for themselves. You know. Well, right. you guys are not the elders, right? You know, so so yeah. I mean, but yeah, that is my little idealism. Like, if there's one issue, it's hunger. You know, and that's a good exercise for everybody. You know, if there was like one issue that's within reach, mm. what would it be? You know? Yeah, that, that was a good question, Shazan. Um, and uh, just reflection on that too. I feel like if if the Ummah in Chicago or a good group of Muslims could get together and work on something like this. We're almost like um, graduating as an ummah to be able to take on the next big thing, yes. which could be adoption or it could be, you know, some other homelessness. You know, oh, totally. we wouldn't yeah. be able to do it unless we start with these low hanging, lower hanging fruit. Yeah, I think hunger is the lowest hanging of them all. And it's such a big issue, right? You know, like homelessness, I'd like to say, but I think homelessness is tied into all kinds of other things. It's tied into employment. It's tied into mental health. It's tied into all kinds of things. Hunger Right. My own little amount of research seems to be almost like it can be tied into these things, but it's literally access. You know, like I even have these dreams of, uh, you know, opening up like these dal chavel shops throughout the throughout all the poor areas and where it's like a dollar for a bowl of dal chavel. Right. And then they're getting their protein, they're getting their grain, you know. 
And you literally just have little shops where you're just feeding that all day long, like a soup kitchen. You know. So, any other thoughts, reflections on any of this? All righty, then let us stop right here. If someone can make a note, I think it's either we shall know better or I do not understand your meaning, Socrates. And then how much more do we have? Oh, we still got a ways to go. Okay. One of the points to also think about that we briefly touched on, uh, what, if you can think of it, would be something that is always something you have to do. So like I said, okay, there are times when farud is the wrong answer and haram is the right answer, right? There's times when haram is the wrong answer, you know, and then, you know, something else is the right answer. Uh, so if you were to try to frame it in a phrase, a sentence, try to think of what is always unanimously in our community agreed upon. This is actually touching on a future dialogue because there's another dialogue where Socrates is going to ask what behavior is always right, regardless of the context. But let's stop right here. I'm actually getting a phone call. I got to take anyway. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. All right. May Allah tell you all, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum. Wassalamu alaikum.